0: Down, down <laughs> in and in the <laughs> Sugar, we're going down swinging.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our
0: new season of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I am Jesse. And we're coming at you with some big 2020 energy. I I guess so. I guess we have to say that, right? Yeah, it is 2020 energy. It is because we're
1: talking about this this week for our inaugural episode of our new season, we're talking about our year in review, our top 5 movies of 2020. This is our our uh, our goodbye, our salutations, our sayonara to uh what is probably the hardest year in all of our lives. Absolutely. So far, yeah, <laughs> i don't who know who knows what it, 2021 will bring guys is that pessimistic or optimistic jesse
0: oh it's pessimistic oh shit <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: very pessimistic well it was a hard year for everyone we started out with with high high hopes for a living and then we were really crushed uh and then continued to be crushed month in and month
0: out you couldn't think of another song that was the first one that came to mind what's okay. what, what's one in your mind do you have one I want to hear your pipes. I remember, like, three doors down, like, I'm a loser. (laughs) Like, that's how I feel at the end of 2020. You mean, like Beck? Oh, yeah. Uh, That's also a Beck song. Soy un imperator. I'm a loser, (laughs) baby. So why don't you kill me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So 2020 was really hard on everyone. But something that did buoy our spirits, at least kind of towards the second half of the year, was the movies, was TV shows. And that is really where, you know, a lot of us were in states that weren't open. We had not a lot of places to go. We couldn't see friends. We could only connect with loved ones through the telephone or through WhatsApp or video chats. And the only way to really feel like, at least for me, how I felt connected to people was either in doing this podcast or in watching new movies. That's the only way I felt that human connection that I had previously taken for granted so that's kind of what this episode is about, is this look back in the year. What was it that we thought was truly exceptional? I think probably the best place to start would be in TV shows. You know, what's the best TV shows we watched this year? I, I would say for me, the best thing that I saw on TV show in TV shows was probably the season two of Mandalorian. A good friend of mine once described this as the most stupid show that was still good. And I think I kind of agree with that. Like, it is the most Star Wars show you could possibly imagine. And it yada yadas away a lot of things that we would otherwise ask a show to kind of grapple with or explain. (laughs) But because it's Star Wars, it really worked for me. Um, All the way up to, like, the shocking final minutes. Uh, The Mandalorian is, is something that... My wife almost refuses to watch with me because anytime Baby Yoda comes on screen, I go, oh, look, it's Baby Yoda. Oh, he's eating something. <laughs> I'm so happy he's eating.
2: Yeah. That's good for him. Exactly.
0: <laughs> he's happy. Look how happy he is. Yeah. Um, Every time we see Baby Yoda, we just think of our son because... There was, uh, when we first watched season one. He acted exactly like our son at the time, just like eating little parts on the ship. And that's that's how my son is. He just like goes up to everything and like takes it down, starts looking at, it, throws it away, and goes through another thing. That's Baby Yoda. My son is Baby Yoda, <laughs> pretty much. I, I watched him. I watched him uh, in a previous time.
1: He he picked up a rock, he licked it, and then he threw it. But it wasn't as if the lick was anything except a matter of form. You know, I must lick and then I must throw. it's his way of knowing the world. I loved it. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the best things that I, and I think probably most of you listeners have seen this year. I mean, talk about something to buoy your spirits and, and just interest you. I mean, Star Wars has moved to TV and I, it's so successful in my mind. Um, It was, it was a, it was a joy to watch this year. Mike, do you want to mention anything you saw?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I, well, it was crazy. I was talking to my friend who I had, Finish this show with, with with we watched most of the show together. I think I think we know who this friend is. Yeah, he's been on the show, Dave. Brother Dave.
1: Brother Dave um, from this the is, it
2: episode. From the It episode. This mm. is one of both of our favorite shows. BoJack Horseman ended in 2020, uh right at the end of January. Um and we had gotten together then and we watched all all the episodes of the final half of the season that that debuted then. It's crazy to me that it came out then because it just seems like a completely different time in my mind. But it was it was really cool to to see the end of this horrible epic about this horrible human being. Um, Not a human being. This horseman. This horrible horseman. He's a horseman. A horsebean. Horseman. Yeah, he's a horseman. Yeah, he's, he's whole, a BoJack horseman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but seeing his arc and seeing sort of the redemption and the not redemption that sort of occurs at towards the end of the show, I, I thought it was a perfect ending. Some people didn't, but it was, it was just a wonderful thing to see. It moved me very deeply, and I, I'm really, really glad that we got that this year.
0: Yeah. Like I've been with BoJack Horseman since it first came out. Yeah. When it first came out on Netflix, and this little banners came up, and I had nothing else to do, I I used to watch that, and I made it through the first five episodes, which were not very good. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept watching, and was so pleasantly surprised by the end. And yeah. I've been watching the show since it came out. Every season, I was so excited, and this ending was very satisfying
1: for me. Oh yeah. This it's it's, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about it because I actually came onto the show because of Jesse's recommendation way back in the day where Jesse said, Hey, it's not just a stupid animated horse show. There's actually (laughs) a lot more to it. It talks about existence and purpose and what you want out of life and depression. Um, And watching it, you know, with the seasons, this is a show I've also followed, except not through this final season. I haven't seen the the final half of the season that came out in 2020.
2: You don't want it to end
1: a little bit because I'm scared. (sighs) Yeah, I'm a little scared because I, I think as, as, as we all are talking about this show, like this is a show that I, I felt uncomfortable by a lot of times because I recognized a lot of myself in Bojack and I was uncomfortable at that, at that sight, at that vision. And in a lot of ways I was frightened of the ending of the show because I thought that maybe it could be prophetic. I know it sounds stupid now that I say it, but it was something I was really scared of and something I have been kind of avoiding. I, I really do want to get back to it, but I've never connected with a TV character. Like I've connected with Bojack. Yeah. And, I want to know how his story ends because how it ends might like decide something I might do in the future. Like I think all great art does, it it moves you, it pushes you in different directions. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well,
2: if it is prophetic, I think it's better than you might think it is. And I'm not going to say any more than that about it. I I, I don't want to, we don't want to talk about, we don't want to yeah. do spoilers at all in this, but just to talk about, yeah, this was a great work of art, I, something that was really personal it was part of our lives since we were married, right? Yeah, like this yeah. is something that's been a part of our life from being single dudes to being married dudes to having kids. Married, um, dot,
1: dot, dot, with children. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> massive changes in our lives through through that. Really interesting to put a bow on that
0: show at the beginning of this year of just explosive change. Explosive yeah. implosion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would like to add one thing because this is something I've always wanted to tell a massive group of people. Nice. Nice because I hope this is a massive group of people. To this. <laughs> it better be. Yeah. <laughs> Get the word out, NYFM army. Tell your friends, tell your wives. <laughs> uh, if you ever do want to watch BoJack Horseman, I recommend you start with the second to last episode of the first season. That is how I've gotten people oh, to watch yeah. it. Because the first
1: five that, that's what you That's what you did with me. Yeah. You made me watch that episode first, and I said, oh, I'm hooked. Yeah
0: that is that is something mind blowing i've never seen that uh that episode is it's a great one every season has like at least one great stellar episode yeah. and with a lot of not so good ones sometimes sometimes yeah. yeah you have to say it yeah uh the first i mean the first half of the first season is not somewhere i think anybody should should start with. It's a miracle that I made it through. Sure. I was just so bored at the time. But you, you were there for the Mr. Peanut Butter jokes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> I was. But what are you doing here? <laughs> what, what, what's what's her name? The the person he's always like seeing off screen and running after. <laughs> what are you doing here? Is this a crossover episode? <laughs>
2: I will say that goes completely against my core. To say that you should start not at the very beginning of anything, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, my personal way of looking at the world. I just think it's and really oh, hard yeah. to get
1: through like two hours of this show yeah. when it's yeah. when it's only fluff.
2: That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, definitely agree with
2: you
0: there. But I'm a completionist, so it's I like true. to see it all. It's yeah. true. I like
2: to start at the beginning and go the bumpy ride to where it gets good.
0: Yeah, to be clear, I think you should start there and then you go back and you should oh, okay. watch. Get get hooked. It's, yeah. yeah. That is the episode that best represents Bojack Horseman, in my opinion. So you should watch that. It will spoil yeah. some things, but to be yeah. honest, There's nothing much, otherwise, yeah. you just won't watch it, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 You got to get the point where, where uh, Todd
1: says, We've solved the drug problem. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: so great.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but just speaking of that, I mean, the show has just so many, and and this is the final thing I'll say, but the show has just, like, every season has at least one episode that just kind of breaks through the wall of what you think could be done on TV. The silent episode? Yeah. The silent episode is amazing, let alone by an animated show. It does so much with animation. It does so much with, I mean, Free Churro is the episode everyone talks about (laughs) the most. It's such an incredible episode that just that alone makes it worth watching, but then also the... The deep sort of human story that it tells is is incredible.
1: It's messy. It's brutal. It's yeah. it's rough. It's funny. It's sweet. It's very sad. It's mm-hmm. it's it's everything and very adult. Super adult. Yeah. yeah. Don't watch it with your kids. No. Yeah. I, why would you? <laughs> not a dad show.
0: <laughs> Definitely
1: not. It's it's yeah. it's a it's a dad by yourself kind of thing. But yeah. Um, yeah. what what else have you been watching? Did you did you watch something involving
0: wild animals this year? I did. Yeah. And it was a documentary? Interesting. Interesting. It, it involved a monarch. Oh. A monarch, a big cat. Like a duke. Close. It like a, a princess. Warmer. <laughs> like a warlord. Oh, wait. <laughs> princess Carolyn. Oh wait, sorry, <laughs> wrong show. <laughs> it was Tiger King. Tiger King. Which I saw, I thought this is stupid, and then my wife started watching it. And then I came in like halfway through the show. I was like this is this is I am hooked. I don't know what this is, but I am hooked on whatever this is. Just like they're hooked on meth.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, so we, we, I think in this, in this 2020, I, I distinctly remember I was an essential worker, but when everything was being shut down and things were really rough and everyone was being laid off and all my friends are getting unemployment and, and like, we're not sure what's happening. It's really destabilized. There was something that came out on Netflix that seemed to sort of almost unite the country in a weird way. Like everyone just watched Tiger King. And I I remember hearing everything about Tiger King and everyone's like, Oh yeah, except for Tiger King, which is great. And I didn't know anything about this. Uh, It's from the makers of of the Netflix documentary series that I really love, a wild, wild country. And I really respect that documentary. So I I started watching it and I think it fundamentally fails as a documentary. (laughs) They are not clear on their subject or what they're doing or why. And the, the subjects change frequently and almost not on purpose in the show it's really just like the filmmakers themselves realized they were along for a ride.
3: Yeah. They
1: didn't know what they'd uncovered, but every step of the way they were like, all right, let's do this. Carol Baskin, uh, animal sanctuary. Oh, killed her husband. Okay. Let's talk about that. Cause it really, it originally seemed like it was a documentary about like endangered wild cats that were being farmed and put into zoos, And then it turned into, there's this crazy guy named Joe exotic who is <laughs> seducing <laughs> straight men and getting them hooked on drugs and also running like an underground like animal trafficking ring with a bunch of other people in the country, and he hates Carol Baskin because she fed her, her husband
0: to tigers? And you're like, what what are we doing right now? Oh my word. I it was I think Tiger King represented the sort of chaos everybody was feeling at the beginning of this year. I think so. It was that chaos. Yeah. Yeah, like like every minute
1: you were like, What are we doing? Where are we now? Who's this guy? <laughs> Because the series just keeps opening up to different guys. And you're like, okay, so you run it. You run also a quasi fake animal sanctuary where you also traffic these things. And it's only open to some people. And you like yeah. set off cherry bombs in your yard and have guns. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how many people
0: are doing this? Yeah. It seems like there's a lot.
1: Everyone, apparently. Like yeah. I'm, I'm one of the few people apparently in America that does not have a tiger. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess I guess we should get into that business.
1: I think so. Yeah. I, apparently, business is a booming. Guys, I, I, I wasn't going to tell you this,
2: but I, I, I'm in that
0: business. Like, <laughs> you're a I can tiger you king? I,
2: I am a tiger king. Nice.
1: Okay. So you're more like a tiger prince.
2: Yeah, a tiger prince. Yeah.
1: Are, are
0: you an apprentice? apprentice?
2: A, 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 are you, are a,
0: a, you an apprentice? I'm a tiger okay, a prince. A
2: prince prince.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a tiger apprentice. Sure, say it correctly. sure. No, I will not. I
1: will not. Sometimes when I have trouble sleeping at night, I like to take that section of that episode out, <laughs> and I just listen to it on a loop. Where you finally say a friend prince.
0: <laughs> That's a Cinderella episode, right? It is. Okay, good. I'm I, I, was,
1: I was told by a listener <laughs> of the show that if, if she were on the episode, she would never have let me get away with such a grammatical holocaust.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is truly terrible. But Tiger King, and uh, what else have you seen, Jesse? So Middle Vision and Schwartz. Um, it's another Netflix series. It's got three episodes. It stars Thomas Middleditch. Yeah, there you go. Who, I which one is he? <laughs> Jesse's favorite show. <laughs> is my favorite show. Middle Middle Ditch and Schwartz. It stars uh, the guy Richard from Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and John Ralphio from Parks and Rec, and they do long form improv, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's not like "What's my line?" anyway, where they do like short little skits. No, this is like. They take a story from the audience. They dig in a little to their story, figure out some characters in their lives and something that's happening. And they take that idea and they make, between these two guys, they tell a story just based off of that for 45 minutes. And the first one, it's about a wedding that's happening. It involves <laughs> so many characters. <laughs> these two guys play so many different characters with slightly different ways of talking, slightly different like ways that they're moving their body, you know. And different things going on with them and the beauty of this show it's watching them like come up with these characters on the spot watching the other one trying to figure out whether they're going with it yeah and then try to remember what they've done before because they're telling (laughs) a cohesive story all the way through that actually has like an ending wrap-up it's it's an incredible call and response that happens yeah
1: it's one where it's incredibly dependent on trusting your partner completely and they have that there's even there's, there's moments where they definitely like ask an additional question where they're really confused as to where the person is going. They go like, "Um, hey, what is your character motivation? Oh, I'm a crazy side character
0: asking questions. But it's
1: really fun hearing it because you see this craftsman kind of at work. Yeah. And he's just asking for another clue so he can push the narrative forward. It's
0: it's brilliant. Yeah. This on-the-spot storytelling. And it's so funny. The first episode, especially I was laughing. I was laughing so hard the entire time. So is my wife. It's, it's such a joy to watch. If you ever want like a good long form comedy improv, which I've never seen before, but these guys do it. If you ever want to see that, this is a show to watch middle edition Schwartz.
1: I think middle edition Schwarz could be called two guys in a chair on a stage. And it would, it's the exact same thing. Like it's, there's no other, it's two guys on a stage with a chair And people shouting things at them. Two chairs. Two chairs. That's right. Fair. Two guys, two
3: chairs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I think one of the last things that we'd like to mention here is um, Mike, what do you think about a little HBO comedy show called Avenue Number Five?
2: Avenue Number Five was hilarious. It was amazing. I uh, did not have any idea what the show was. And. uh, Vito, you showed it to me. I came over one day and uh, before the quarantine, <laughs> again, and you were here alone. Your wife was was traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, were, you were just here in your boxers. And <laughs> <laughs> you're like, Mike my business show
3: you gotta see this
1: show i said from inside my tentacles
3: just like, just like just,
1: i was in my tentacle boxers and and i was buried beneath a, a deep uh, veneer of depression <laughs> and fast food because my wife was gone and i was working at it was like
2: the second day yeah. you
1: know? <laughs> the floor was already like like me deep in beer bottles yeah
2: and and in fast food yeah <laughs> And it was amazing. You you had already seen the whole thing or yeah. something. You'd seen yeah. four episodes. You're like, we're going to watch the whole thing again. And I was just <laughs> dropping something off. And my wife calls me. And it's like, what your wife was already are you? gone? I, your wife was, was also out of town. I, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we just watched the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. And then I went and showed it to my wife. It was great.
1: Yeah. So Avenue great. number five is, is the story. So it stars Hugh Laurie alongside a very strong, supported cast. But it's about a ship. That kind of serves as as a cruise ship for the rich in the future where you can take a cruise in space and they loop you around, you know, I think it's Saturn is where they're going around, but partially around Saturn, their chief engineer meets with an incredibly uh, brutal death (laughs) (laughs) by accident. And now they are stranded. And because of certain gravitational anomalies, they are knocked off course and they don't know how long it's going to be to get back to earth, but it's going to be several years. And you have a group of people, very wealthy, very privileged, stuck together on a ship for years going forward. And it's about how do they deal with this circumstance?
2: It's amazing. And they're all like terrible people, but they not, suck. <laughs> but not like in the, they kill people way, just that in the normal human way. Well, the, they're the show, terrible.
1: the show was founded and created and written principally by Armando Iannucci, who we know from yep. Veep and uh, the movie like in the loop. Yep. So he, he writes very caustic. Uh, very erudite characters, great dialogue, incredible. The most insulting things I've almost ever heard said to another <laughs> human being, outside of the show, beat which he also heap. does. <laughs> but it's it it's caustic, it's hilarious, it's deeply black comedy. Oh yeah, um, but it's also heartfelt. It can be, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of human relationships in it, and there's also a lot of really surprising uh, story events that happen. Yeah, um, that are both. What, what's the word? irreverent
2: <laughs> that's the <laughs> nicest way to that's say it nice, yeah that's, that's yeah yeah that's the beginning that's the top layer of how to describe the, some of these there, there's a
1: recurring joke about um floating horses around the cruise ship in space that like just I, I died at
2: just just go and watch this show go watch it go talk about it because it didn't get it didn't make a huge splash even though it's amazing it got a mixed splash it did get renewed for a second season thank god um what like hopefully it's good and everyone should go and watch this and make sure that they talk about it because i want to see more of this i want to see yeah. more
1: and and if if you watch it if you if you can watch the first episode and honestly say you don't like the show then uh, you know bon voyage to you and vaya con dios and you like what you like but if you can get through that episode and not laugh your ass off <laughs> I want to talk to you, you know,
2: <laughs> where is your soul? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know where mine is. Um, and then as a final shout out, I do want to talk about the other TV show that's sort of taken the, the streaming world by storm, which is Queens gambit. This is an incredible show. Anya Taylor joy is a star, not in the making, but a star that really seems to have finally arrived in our,
0: in our consciousness. She makes this show. She like, is the show. Yeah. Without I, her, there's no show. Yeah. I wouldn't, have watched any of queen's gambit if it wasn't for her acting and just her her presence yeah her presence she has a unique presence she She does a unique voice and it's it makes the whole show very interesting she's she's really
1: intense she's really charismatic and she's very quiet at the same time in this show but Uh but her while her dialogue may be small and quiet her actions scream at the screen. And I I love the way that she behaves in this and the, her small mannerisms and everything that she gives away and all the character work she does. Um, Queen's yes. Gambit,
0: big, big recommend. Yeah. Can I just point out that we've talked about like six TV shows and four of them are Netflix originals. That's surprising. Yeah. It, isn't it? It's surprising. Yeah. We, we are kind of,
1: this is about what we've watched and what we've enjoyed. And enjoy is a, is a very clear word here because there, there's been a lot that's come out from many streaming giants, specifically like like HBO has made it has a really
3: yeah. good
1: year in terms of content that's come out. We watched I May Destroy You, uh, which I I thought was good, but didn't like. There's been a lot that's come out on various streaming services that uh, just for one reason or another did not sort of make their way into these these mentions. And these are the yeah. things that we mentioned that we liked that we saw. That's a big one too. There's a lot of stuff that
2: I know I didn't see this year. I watched a lot more movies this year than I ever have. And yeah, (laughs) um, which was great. And so, but I didn't watch as much TV. I watched a lot of old TV as well.
1: And that's, that's great. I mean, like stuff that, that I wish was kind of better would be stuff like Lovecraft country. And I wish Lovecraft country was a better TV show. Uh, I would really like to champion that because I enjoy my time with it. But but we're not here talking about those things. We're here talking about the things that we we really connected with on a personal level. So let's 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 go into what we we're calling our mentions, right off the top. These are mentions of movies. Now we're moving yeah into, we're moving
2: into the movie space. Absolutely, not yeah. honorable mentions. Just we mentions. We do have honorable mentions.
1: We just yes. want to say these that these are things that that were notable that we encountered, and they did not make their way into our honorable mentions. So I want to mention that we did this year see Trial of Chicago Seven. <laughs> Yes. Um, there's a whole episode that we did about it. If you want to hear our actual thoughts on it, it's in that episode. But yes. Jesse, I think you had something else you wanted to add.
0: The more I think about the movie, the more I like it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I don't know why. I, I just... like it when people like things. <laughs> yeah. I like it to, I mean, like the, the historical aspect and period in me, but again, the more I think about the movies from 2020, this one keeps rising for me.
1: Interesting. Would you see this? This is an extra kind of question that we hadn't discussed beforehand. Yeah. But would you see this as a major player as a best picture candidate? Uh, maybe for acting. Maybe. For, who Who's a, I know we talked about it a little bit in the episode, but since the episode, who's the standout one since you've been reevaluating?
0: It's still Sasha Baron Cohen for me.
1: I still think he's the standout. What, star. what, what about Yahya Abdul-Mateen? Do you, do you see a, do you see a, a best supporting actor nomination
0: there? Uh, I, I really have no idea in terms of that. Like I think, I think there were better best supporting actors, in my opinion. I, I would agree, especially
1: yeah. um, uh, a a very deaf and very emotional one that we might be getting to soon. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
1: but yeah, so if you want our, our thoughts on Trial of Chicago 7, listen to the episode. Um, we don't want to relitigate here. Some that... Uh, three Sustained. <laughs> three that I want to mention up front that I really enjoy, but did not make it into my personal top five favorites. Again, top five is um palm springs this came along at a really great time in a lockdown year in a quarantine year and i, I found it immensely enjoyable and i had a, a great night with my wife watching it my wife has now since seen it three times she really enjoys this movie i do too it's really funny it's very adult in not in so far as like the stuff you're gonna see is adult although it is but it's also just a very mature look at the passage of time and where we are and who we are as people um, in that way I, I wanna mention here Soul. Soul did also not make it into our top five. It's a movie I did not connect with emotionally when I watched it. I recognize the craft of the film, the work by Trent Reznor and Anatist Ross, and the music, and then the work of Pete Doctor as a writer and director, and all the animators is must be acknowledged, but simply could not get into the the emotion of the story. If you want to look at more like big takes hot takes about soul. You just need to look at Twitter. You know, mm. we're not here for that. And I'm not interested in that. I only want to say as myself, I, it didn't work for me. And finally, I just wanted to mention uh, Ma Rainey's black bottom and Ma Rainey's black bottom is the final role from Chadwick Boseman uh, that we're going to mm. see on screen. It is a vicious, angry, performance from Chadwick Boseman. He gets to play an instigator, an antagonist, more than a protagonist in a lot of ways. It's a a beautiful movie that's based upon the August Wilson play, um, produced by Denzel Washington, also starring Viola Davis, as Ma Rainey. It's an incredible piece of work as a film that is made off of a play. And while you never forget it's a play, the movie-making aspect of it does elevate the material in a lot of ways. It's a film I, I did resonate with very deeply I would say in the end, I liked it, but in a lot of ways, it didn't feel like it was for me. It wasn't made for me, but getting off of that, let's get into something a little bit more fun. Uh, Wonder Woman,
2: 1984. Yeah.
1: The controversial movie of Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mike, what did you think of this?
2: I thought it was a great time. It was fun. Um, it wasn't anything special. I didn't think it was as good as the first Wonder Woman. But it was yeah, it was fun. It was a superhero movie, and that's kind of about it.
1: I um, I like this a little bit more than the first Wonder Woman. I know that might be a weird opinion, but I just I like the what if kind of scenario. I like the Twilight Zone of it. I like the outer limits of it. Mm-hmm. I liked that the bad guy is stops being a bad guy by his own choice and not because he got punched a bunch of times. Yeah. I really enjoyed all that. And it's a very deep like father son movie, because that's the only reason that he makes the choices he makes. Mm -hmm. And Pedro Pascal just gives uh, an incredible performance that is not like supported by the movie he's in.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It it kind of feels like he's in a very different movie. He
1: he definitely wants hmm. to be in a different one. (laughs) And kind of the substance of
2: like his, his sort of villainous
1: arc is very different from the rest of the movie in a lot of Hmm. ways. Yeah. I, I, Loved the movie when he was there. Yeah, and when he was not there, I definitely felt his absence. Yeah, because I was drawn to him. I was drawn to his sweaty, bloody, <laughs> frantic atmosphere, like his, his, his charisma, on man charisma. Yeah, mm, yeah, like 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 Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Like I was yeah. just drawn to like the sweaty anxiousness. Like, oh my gosh! <laughs> like this is a way to live a life. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know what's better than that? More. <laughs> No, so Wonder Woman 1984, I liked a little bit more than the original Wonder Woman simply Mm -hmm. because it was, we we had a big like discussion prior to this podcast, but I liked it more because it was more interesting than the original Wonder Woman. It wasn't a typical superhero movie that I was used to. It was bizarre, um, not for all good reasons, but (laughs) it was different. And I really liked, I really like different things in genres I'm used to. How does this rank in terms of uh, DC movies for you? (sighs) DC movies are hard. Obviously Shazam <laughs> is the best. Shazam beats, just blows everything out of the water. It's cause it's actually like a good movie.
2: <laughs> DC extended universe.
1: Like yeah, the, the DCEU. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then after that, I think it's definitely like Aquaman for me. Cause Aquaman is at least fun if it's not good. Yeah. And then this is probably not third. Cause third, I think you would probably just give to the original Wonder Woman just because it braved a new trail. And it was something different mm-hmm. than other things, even if it followed a similar pattern. And then I would probably put it number four. Okay. And then everything else, just skip two places and then just throw them all way in the back of a heap where <laughs> no one cares. But but it must be said, Man of Steel is the first in that list, the highest up, and Suicide Squad is the very last. <laughs> it's one of the worst <laughs> movies I've ever seen.
0: So the first and the bottom of a, of a garbage heap.
1: Yes. Yeah. Suicide Squad is as low as I could possibly make it in any ranking. <laughs> it's like okay. rotting, mold growing on it. And then and then below that, Suicide Squad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with no redeeming value at all. Nice. Yeah. But moving into that, I think we need to talk about two of the biggest, splashiest movies in this year of no movies. I think we are going to talk about Tenet and Mank. Which one would you guys like to go with first? Let's just get Tenant out of the way. Oh. Let's get Tenant out of the way. Jesse, Jesse, give us your thoughts and tenant.
0: My word. Okay. So, and make them brief. (laughs) (laughs) I, me and my wife, we've seen every Chris Nolan movie. We've liked them, at least liked them all. Uh, We go into this movie. We're so excited. We'd had a rough day with the kids. Uh, We turn it on, and the act there's some action stuff that happens, and then some dialogue that happens. And then the dialogue happens. And I, I did not have subtitles on, so what happened? And I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out how to turn on the subtitles. I later found <laughs> out by Googling that through my specific Roku app, I needed to go through the TV itself in order to turn it on, basically, not through the app, which is very weird. That's it's really, really backwards. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've never had that happen before. I'm really sorry you had that experience. So <laughs> me and my wife just kept looking at each other, like, asking, like, what did they say? And just kept shrugging. And for, like, 20 minutes, we just kept doing this. Like, kept on saying, like, did you catch that? Like, what what's going on? And then she just looks at me and says, I'm leaving. And she went to bed. <laughs> she couldn't sleep because I was listening to the movie so loudly. But instead of coming out and finishing the movie with me, she just, like, <laughs> she was like, I'd rather not <laughs> do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my word. And so that itself. It, so the audio – Is such a huge issue for this movie because like it's it relies there's so much exposition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, or else you have like no connection to the characters. And what happened to me is I all right, I think I talk about this on a future episode. (laughs) Chris, Chris (laughs) Chris Nolan movies. He gets you so engaged with the plot, it's almost like a misdirection for some other minor issues that you could take up with for his movies. If you actually dig into them, you can find all sorts of problems, right? So that is kind of what I was left with. Because I heard some parts of the movie, like all the science fiction stuff. I actually understood all the parts that some people found confusing because the audio magically clears up then. And you can hear it all. Abracadabra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I heard all that. And then I was just left thinking about like plot issues and and some pacing issues instead of enjoying a movie that I really wanted to enjoy. So yeah, at, at the end of the day, I just saw a, a mess, an amateur mess. So I think for these these two, Tenet and Mank,
1: as we move out of the mentions closer to the honorable mentions, I I, I kind of want to like talk about a, a little bit of a rating. Out of five stars, what would you
0: give Tenet? <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I was watching this, I was reminded of this DVD I picked up this one time in the $5 bin at Walmart that had like 12 action movies on them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love those. Yeah. And they were all some of the worst movies I've ever oh, yeah. seen. Nice. And I was thinking, you know, I, can't, I count that as, as like a win. <laughs> I was thinking this could frontline. So the, the particular DVD I had had equilibrium on there oh, the movie blows. <laughs> i love equilibrium do not talk trash about that would
1: be
2: wonderful movie it
1: Sucks. What, what a terrible matrix ripoff it's yeah. so great it's love it yeah, yeah. It,
0: it's great and, and it meant it so bad but i was thinking tenant is for me is that level that's what i saw i i rate this like a one and and a half
1: oh well, I think given that once the one and a half star rating, I think you're going to find a lot of commonality
2: with Mike. Yeah. Well, um, I I'm not going to read the dumpster fire that I uh, I put in our text chain, um, <laughs> off, although I could, and it would all be still true. Um, <laughs> but I I I did not like this movie. I I rarely actively dislike something, but this movie, like my wife and I watched this together, and we were excited to see it. Visually, it's really cool but we were laughing our asses off the entire time. We thought it was hilarious how tropey it was, how uninteresting it was and how, um, <laughs> and, I mean, just like, like, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, I get, I get all of the sci-fi stuff that, that Christopher Nolan does in it. It's not like that doesn't make sense, but it's just, I, I think it was a worthless movie in all honesty. And that's uh, that's all that I really need to say about it.
1: I, uh, I, I couldn't disagree more <laughs> with either of my co-hosts. Um, not that I think that this is a work of brilliance. I don't. I think it's plagued by a lot of issues. The same issues that have plagued Nolan in the past with some revisions. I, I think that there, he focused a little bit more on Elizabeth DeBecky as his, his female character. And I say that, and it sounds as awkward as it should, because he does have a female character that he does put some work towards. And congratulations, good job. You finally did it. You wrote a female character that didn't seem like just a joke on its face. But if you think about it, it is a joke. And yeah. I think that is some evolution. That's some growth
3: yeah,
1: towards having a woman character that has an agency. I mean, I kind of
2: felt like it was a joke on its face, but... It's not. Because
1: it, okay. it, it, it's different than any other woman character that he's written. She's sure. not one-dimensional. She's two dimensional and that means she's flat. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's really, that's the only praise I want to, I want to push on that. Like she's not Rebecca Hall in the prestige, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was a, if you cast a shadow on it, it's two dimensional, <laughs> but apart from that, it's one. And this one at least had some work. There was, there was clearly an intention here, whether or not that worked, that's up to you as the viewer A lot of the time travel stuff and the sequences really did work for me. I like Chris Nolan's way of telling stories. I just, I feel very connected to it. And this one felt very of a piece with Dunkirk. In as much as he's writing this solo, it's not with Jonathan. And Jonathan is is very much a a calming presence on his stories. Jonathan focuses a lot on the characters. He's a very human writer. And Chris Nolan is much more, at his core, a situational writer. He likes to write these big sci-fi concepts into stories that star incidentally star people. You know, Chris Mm -hmm. Nolan's best movies are co-written by somebody else. That is true of this as well. This is not one of his best movies. It is one that I really enjoyed and I thought made enough sense for me to enjoy. It's not an opinion shared by my my co-host, but this is also not a podcast where we're going to break down Tenet and talk about what works and not. This is really just our personal impressions and my personal impression of Tenet is when I watched it, again, with subtitles, my first time, super excited to see it. I walked away going, wow, I really like that. And it made sense to me. It made sense to me so much so that in, in what Mike referred to as our, as our dumpster fire of a text chain, <laughs> um, I actually had to stop kind of responding to things because the hatred was just like too great. And I, I don't yeah. think this movie is deserving of hatred. I also don't think it's deserving of love. I just think that either you like what it's doing or you don't and that's that's where it lies.
0: Well, if if you w- watch it with subtitles, I'm sure you can get that. Otherwise, like we actually had a phone conversation right after. It's we, true. Me and Vita watched it at the same time, yeah, and then we said, yeah, we called each other and talked about it, and I had to ask him like very basic plot points. I understood the sci-fi stuff, I just didn't understand why any character was doing anything at any particular moment? Jesse's "Just like why is that guy there?" And I said, "Oh, he said it in this in this thing." And he said this, and Jesse's like, "Oh, actually, the <laughs> audio was so bad. I was so confused at the beginning. I thought, I thought the main character was kind of a psychopath. Was the bad guy? <laughs> I, basically, I thought he. I thought he wanted to murder poor people.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I thought he wanted to murder poor people in the stadium. Like, and it's the opposite." In all reality, he's trying to save them all, like, that sets, that set me up for, like, a weird ride, because I was just like, you know, Chris Nolan, he's done, like, sort of an anti-hero sort of thing before, so, like, an amoral CIA agent. I can see it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I would love to, I'd love to see
1: that instead of, like, his usual principal protagonist. I feel I, like I would have enjoyed that movie a lot more than this movie. So, so in, in, in the book, The Nolan Variations by, by Tom Schoen, he talks about, uh, Nolan's process a lot like what what it is that he's trying to do and Nolan is is obsessed with getting audiences to engage with his movies outside of conventional means and that has worked both for good and for ill in his in his mm-hmm. movies I think I think here it can be objectively said that by burying dialogue that's important for the audience to hear inside of his sound mix it's for ill um, I say that as someone that in li- liked the movie and enjoyed it but this was the wrong call but I also see an auteur who with his ninth movie, I think is like, he, he's flexing in a way that other auteurs have before, but in a much more radical progressive way, he has so much power in the Hollywood system and he's able to explore these things that he's always wanted to. Like it's, it's very much like ego unchecked. Um, and, And I don't think that's necessarily bad, but in this iteration, it is not, he's working against himself. It's yeah. not actually what he wants to put out. He wants people to engage with this movie and he's trying to do it through through visuals. And it it does work in some way because like you're saying, you were able to follow the sci-fi stuff, but it doesn't work in other ways, specifically where you need to hear someone talk.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is frequently in that. Movie. Frequently.
1: Yeah. It, it's it's definitely a, a one-eye blind kind of decision. Like he's got one eye set upon his visuals and he has no eye on his audio. And that's very clear... Because with the subtitles, the movie really did make sense to me.
0: You know, and I it's, got it. That's funny. I, the more I looked into it, the more I realized that he was actually doing the audio stuff on, on purpose. purpose. And actually, and, and that becomes more clear because I understood the sci-fi stuff, which also involved talking. A lot of talking at times. But the visuals are so strong. You're like, oh, I get it. He steps in the thing and right. it flips. Boom, we're here. Right. So there was a mixture of vi- visuals and sometimes just straight audio. But that was when it, the audio magically cleared up. Yeah. Right. So that's. I got so mad at that. I was just like, dude, how can you – you are clearly self-aware. You know what you're doing. I don't know how anybody could choose to do this. Uh, I was actually so mad at Noon that I wanted to, like, boycott him for a little while after seeing this. <laughs> I've forgiven him a little bit. I think I think it really is, though. <laughs> I
1: think you're right. It is a case of a creator with his head really far up his own ass. Oh, so far. Um, but it's also reading, – reading this book – by Tom Schoen, which is very much in conjunction with Nolan it it, fre- it features constant interviews and interspersals with Nolan uh, about what Tom is writing it feels very much of a piece with his growth as a as a creator and I don't mean that to defend him I just really mean it just makes sense that someone that thinks this would get here and you would get to the almost complete like he wanted to shoot Dunkirk with no script you know and that's insane. And everyone said that was insane. He said, "Okay, here's a sixty-page treatment of my two-hour movie treatment, no dialogue, and there's almost no dialogue that's really discernible or important
0: in Dunker, except yeah. that spoken by Mark Rylance." And that's when you can actually do the audio thing. You can use talking to create an ambiance in the in the film, right? But I see this as as the next
1: step in that. Like I did this period piece where it's clear what everything's doing. Let me do my sort of movie with that same kind of idea. And it doesn't work here. It doesn't work here. You need the subtitles to understand what's happening. And even if you do, like what Mike was saying, you might not even like it then. Uh, This is an incredibly polarizing movie. And I think that from from us here, like I like this movie. I actually like it a good deal and I can't wait to watch it again. But I also understand all the criticisms with it and I concede to them wholeheartedly. With the exception that it's not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) It's not stupid and you're wrong for thinking that.
2: Well, you know... Some of us like good movies, I guess. I do.
1: <laughs> I do. But we must talk about Mank. We originally planned to do Mank as a new release episode because it's David Fincher. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited. This is probably my most... I, I wanted to see this in Tenet the most this year. I did more research for Mank than I've done for most other movies, pre much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, same. Like, I... A, a ton, a ton. And Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins with the big picture at the Ringer covered this extensively. It's Sean Fennessy's uh, favorite movie of the year. Mm-hmm. And I remember just walking into it, not with hype, but just thinking, I love David Fincher. I love his movies. I expect a level of quality here. And I was given a level of quality that is comparable to his other movies. It is a very well-made film. It's beautifully shot. The black and white, while it annoys the piss out of me, is beautifully filmed. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't in black and white. I don't hate movies in black and white. Like I think Roma is a beautiful film in black and white. And this one, it felt like a gimmick. It felt like a gimmick the whole time. It didn't feel like it had to be. I don't know why it was trying to, to ape the the citizen Kane. I didn't connect with the characters. I didn't connect emotionally. Like I gave it a three-star rating simply on the basis of the work of Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, David Fincher. That's it. They worked so hard on this movie and they did their jobs with the exception of making me care. (laughs) Yeah. And I honestly, I have to say, Mank, one of the most disappointing movies I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Bar none.
1: Bar bar none. The way you feel about Tenant, Mike, is how I feel about Mank. I don't think it's stupid, but I think it misses the mark. And whatever mark it had that it wanted to hit, it didn't communicate that to me.
0: Yeah, well, I, I had actually watched Citizen Kane the night before watching Mank. Um, and, you know, I'd never seen Citizen Kane before. And Mank is based off of, like, the, the writer of Citizen Kane.
1: Yeah, so 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 Mank, so the storyline of Mank is that it's about Herman Mankiewicz, who is the co-writer of uh, Citizen Kane, widely recognized yeah. as the greatest film ever made. He made it with Orson Welles. There was a large dispute over who wrote what or mm-hmm. what happened because of whom, on the movie, it's actually profiled in Pauline Kale's book, and it's also profiled in several documentaries that you can watch. And this is Herman Mankiewicz's side. It's written by Jack Fincher, David Fincher's father, who died some 18 years before this project reached completion. He's been trying to make it since then and before. It's a passion project. It's deeply in his blood. But it's yeah. about this struggle of Herman
0: Mankiewicz, renowned uh, socialite, screenwriter, drunk. Yeah. Very, very drunk, the entire movie. That that's basically make. It's about a drunk guy who's writing Citizen Kane. And like I said, I, I'd seen Citizen Kane the night before. And Citizen Kane is primarily about a guy. It's about his life, but he says a mysterious word at the end of his life. And everybody's trying to figure out what that word means. Rosebud. Rosebud. Yeah. At the whole movie. And that's the hook, right? It's the reporters going around and as they're interviewing people, goes deaf to, to flashback, so you get an impression of the Citizen Kane's life. And then you finally figure out what Rosebud is. But that's the hook. And this movie, make it was missing the hook. There was nothing, there was no mystery. I, did, I didn't give a shit at any point. I didn't yes. care. Yes. Yeah, there's no reason for it. And I couldn't figure out, like, in Citizen Kane, I think without the Rosebud thing, I think I would also have said the same thing. And this was just, it was Citizen Kane without Rosebud. And it was like, okay, this dude lived. He died, I guess.
1: He had a car accident. I he, had, he, had, he had a broken leg. He crippling alcoholism. He convinced everyone around him that he was a great, great guy. He was writing it with his secretary. He has kind of like had a platonic
0: affair. His wife was cool with it, and it but also, not. And like, also, like, if so they. What, what, what? Why does it matter? With the exception of him in an automobile accident breaking his leg, it seemed like every significant part of this guy's life. Oh, with the ex- one other exception, which I won't spoil. Um, yes, yeah, sir. Um, it seemed like we were focusing on the most mundane parts of this guy's life.
1: I, I don't, I don't think that that Herman Mankiewicz was a guy that was screaming out for a biopic treatment, and yes. this movie seems to be inventing reasons why this story mattered, even though it's such a high-profile and legendary Hollywood story that you can find it in more complete form. That's actually just to spoil this a little bit historically accurate, which this movie is not. From the ground up, I don't like this movie, even though I respect the craftsmanship that went into it. I respect yeah. the work that Gary Oldman, and again, I want to say this, Amanda Seafried, she unveils a part of herself that I did not think that was there. I'm just going to say that right out. I did not think that she had this capacity as an actress, and she's she's phenomenal. She's magnetic in this. Like She's one of the best parts of a movie I don't like, and I loved hmm. her in it. Um, and Gary
0: Oldman. Gary Oldman is great. He and, he is he is great. He's thirty years older than makes supposed to be, <laughs> but he's he is great because it's Gary Oldman. How could he yeah. not be? Yeah, I mean he was. It was fun to watch him, but again, not interesting. And last thing I want to say, I was very disappointed because I I'm not a fan of William Hurst. I I don't really you, don't, know you don't like I, Charles Dance. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but I'm kind. He's one of those fascinating figures, like. There's her castle in California. which Malibu. I, yeah, in Malibu. I've been there numerous times. It's fascinating to be there. There are like zebras on the freeway. Yeah. Because he placed them there. And he's just such a crazy figure. And this movie has him in there. And he's sort of a big deal. but He's kind of not. I so I don't understand him in the movie. I don't really... Understand no. no he, he, he's one he, scene. Why he's really there? He talks so little. Like there's yeah. there's a couple of notable scenes. Like he is the one
1: where they're talking about socialism and capitalism, and, mm-hmm. and there's the head of the MGM studios that's there, and they have this big debate. And then there's another one again where, but Mank shows up drunk to the dinner, right? Mm-hmm. And he he antagonizes everyone and pushes away everyone because of his rampant alcoholism and just him being kind of an asshole, but also having real beef with with Louis B. Mayer. I'm sorry, Louis Louis De Maire and then with William Randall Hearst. And there's this, this, like, this antagonizing that he's doing, and he's driving away everyone at the party. It's incredibly uncomfortable. And finally, uh, Mayor is just like, you know who's been paying you, right? It's this guy. He doesn't like how you write. He likes how you talk. And then there's the, the, the myth of the organ grinder's monkey that comes mm-hmm. into play. And, and that resolution, that scene really worked for me. And that was like the clincher. And I, I really like that. I really responded to that. But all in all, I think we can say safely that Mank was a miss for us emotionally. Just yep. not, not
0: into it. Didn't like it. No. So let's. Man, I think we should move on to the honorable mentions instead of just yeah. the mentions. I think. Yeah. I think Mike.
1: <laughs> you, I think you had
2: an honorable mention that I think is really interesting. The movie that I really was very good but not great not not top five was another round by Thomas Winterberg. yeah starring Mads Mikkelsen and a bunch of other Danish actors I think very much it's a really weird movie in a lot of ways what's it's, it about it, it's a very joyful movie which is really weird about five teachers or five or four teachers whose lives are kind of like stalled they're they're basically having a midlife crisis and they read a study by a psychologist that the human body is 0.05% too low in blood alcohol content.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and so they decide to start uh, a day drinking competition, in, yeah, an experiment <laughs> where they would go through their work life um, at 0.05% more. <laughs> they they'd keep their their blood alcohol content at 0.05%. This, of course, um, they decide to push push that up. And it goes over the course of, I think, a semester or a year of school and sort of their dip into alcoholism through that. And then sort of the ways their lives break down through it, then the way they kind of come back up at the end. It's really weird, like super weird. Is it weird? It's weird.
0: (laughs) I'm trying to get a sense of this movie. Is it about alcoholism? It's, it's no, how?
2: it's okay. not. It's uh, like that's what I mean. It's kind of hard to put my finger exactly on what it's about. I, I guess it's kind of about like the monkey's paw idea. Like there's something, there's a talisman that will. Oh, hello, change Wonder, your Wonder life. Woman,
1: nineteen eighty four.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something that will change your life. It's Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four, pretty much um, <laughs> with Mons Yeah, and man, yeah, yeah, and drinking. But also, you know, you have to pay a terrible price. But. It's weird about that terrible price. It's weird about all of all the the whole the whole movie is is strange. There we go. I got a different word because it, the People price the price it's paid is is strange and unexpected, and it comes it becomes a joyful movie unexpectedly. You kind of expect this movie to be you know very much a, a warning about alcohol, and it's not really. The way the movie ends is just. I, I don't know if it would be an honorable mention without the ending, which is, you know, it's I've been heard talked about, about, I, I been talked the about by everybody, but um, Mads Mikkelsen does a dance that is uh, just incredible. It comes kind of like, you, you know, it's coming. What, it, it's, it's unexpected and it's just so full of life. I've never been really into dance. I've, at no point in my life have I been like, oh, dance is the artistic expression that I understand and, and feel in any way. Since having daughters, I've been trying to understand a little bit more because they love dancing. It's how they express their joy. And so I've been a little bit more open to it and trying to see that. And then seeing Mads Mikkelsen do that in, in this movie, I was like, oh man, I, like, I, I can see it. I can see how that's a way, it is sort of a way in for me, that art that i never really explored.
1: That That's definitely, this is yeah. a movie yeah. I really wanted to see because Thomas Vinterberg, you know, has worked with Mads Mikkelsen oh, before yeah. on The Hunt. You know, mm-hmm. I think probably most well known. Yeah. Um, even that's not really that well known, but this is definitely a movie that's been making the rounds on like film Twitter and film Facebook. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see it. I'm I'm happy to hear, as I usually am, I'm happy to hear a slightly mixed review. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth seeing. It's not what I expected at all. I yeah. like that. That that's a that's a strong plus for me to watch something. Okay. Is it? It's unexpected. It's different.
2: It's way happier
1: than I expected. I so like
2: expect, that. Expect yeah. like, I, I, a, a lot more joy. I love than that. You think, that's yeah, great sure, because yeah. I kind of thought it was going to be like really sad. Yeah. No, it's not sad at all, which is like, I'm kind of disappointed. It's that. kind of the problem. <laughs> like, like that's, that's kind of why I say it's weird. It's not sad.
1: Well, I maybe to, to loop that in with, with my honorable mention, because it's actually uh, about some similar things is uh, I wanted to mention um, Steve McQueen's second episode of his uh, mini series, quote unquote. It's being considered only for Emmys, but they're definitely movies. Uh, it's his Amazon Prime show, Small Acts. He's released six, I believe, uh, feature-length episodes, the first two of which have garnered a lot of attention this year. One is Mangrove with Letitia Wright, and the second is Lover's Rock, which as far as I know is starring mostly unknown people, and that's the one I want to talk about. I want to talk about Lover's Rock because this was something that was entirely unexpected to me. I did not think that I could experience this kind of movie. It's First of all, it's very experimental in that there is a plot, there is a storyline, but it's very buried and it's only important kind of in the beginning, small bits of it in the middle, and then at the end. It's only about 70 minutes long, a little bit over 70 minutes, and I was almost more moved by this than almost any other movie this year. Lover's Rock is about... A party. It's about a party. It's about a party in London in the late seventies, early eighties. It's about a party about this genre, lovers rock, which is uh, founded in, in Jamaican music and in rock steady, in reggae, and a little bit in ska. And it's about this this community of black people coming together to to dance and to feel a sense of community. It's about these two lovers finding each other in it and their conversation. And it's about the people at the party, the, the, the gatekeeper, the door guy who is making sure that no outside influences can enter. It's about the creep at the party. Who's taking advantage of people that he, he beguiles to trust him. It's about the the DJ that's trying to get his music off the ground by playing it at these parties through old like records and vinyl that he scratches and, and remixes on the fly it's everything that you've never seen in a party movie you know there's an episode of community where the tv show community where abed one of the characters a filmmaker is trying to film the best party and he's roving around a party just saying all right you party 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 and you party 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 like it's the end of the world no harder party more and i get the sense from this that Steve McQueen, you know, the, the director of things like, like 12 years a slave and and widows, he didn't have to say that there's a sequence in the movie that is entirely impromptu that lasts for almost nine minutes in a steady uncut take that in interviews later, he said was entirely improvised by his actors, given the material he had in the scene and he wanted it to happen in the scene, but he didn't tell anybody that he wanted it and they made it happen. And it's beautiful. I was I was swept off my feet. It's one of the most romantic things I've ever seen. I don't like romance in movies because it seems so cheesy and stupid. It doesn't feel like real romance. And this felt real. This movie, Lover's Rock, felt like real life to me. It felt like parties I've been to. It felt like dances I've been to. It felt like music Ooh. I've listened to. And it was so... There, there's a moment, um, the, the great film critic, uh, Adam Naiman, pointed it out. He said, there's a moment where the walls seem to perspire with sweat and it's true, they do. I don't want to heap too much effusive praise on it, but this is one of the movies that uh, everyone should seek out. Lover's Rock, it's part of the Steve McQueen's Small acts series on Amazon
0: Prime. Fantastic. Yeah, so my honorable mention is Invisible Man, which really took me by surprise because I read the synopsis. You know, the basic story is- You know Invisible Man. Yeah, I know the Invisible Man. I've seen, I saw those old black and whites when he has the gauze all over him sure. and he takes it off. And Why is he wearing sunglasses? Who knows? Yeah. He <laughs> 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 doesn't need the darn sunglasses. Well. <laughs> yeah, and those were really cheesy but kind of fun to watch with my family growing up. So, But I've never watched anything Invisible Man related again. And this movie comes up and this, the story is that rich boyfriend, girlfriend trying to get out of his clutches because she thinks he's too controlling. So He is he, too controlling. Yes, yes, yes. He is too <laughs> controlling of her life, and she escapes his his manner, leaves, and then he dies and leaves her a bunch of stuff. And then, of course, it's the Invisible Man, so that means he's going to haunt her, basically. So when I heard that synopsis, I was like, "Well." This is just a recipe for tons of sexual assault and rape. And I don't I want mean, to see we, that.
1: We, we all know about
0: Hollow Man, like with Kevin Bacon. Like we've seen yeah. this done by, by Paul Verhoeven before. I'm not here for the sexual violence. Yeah. And then there was like some scenes in the trailer where it's like her taking a shower. I'm like, oh, dude, this is so creepy. I don't want to see that movie. And then actually, Bita, you were the one telling me that it's it's not that. It's There aren't scenes of sexual assault. There's not. Or rape. You know, kudos for a movie for not forcing that down (laughs) everybody's throats. Yeah, take take a Uh, lesson from that, Game of Thrones, please. (laughs) Yeah, it's not even needed in this movie because it's so psychologically thrilling. Like, this man is haunting her. Or is he? Is she just going crazy? Yeah. Because, oh my. This movie is entirely carried by Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Who, dude, she's like the only one in a room reacting to an invisible man right? Reacting to essentially a ghost. How
1: terrifying is that? Yeah. Like, like seriously, like what Jesse's saying is, is that imagine you're in a room and maybe you're in a room with other people, but you are being tormented by an invisible person. And because they're invisible, no one will acknowledge that anything weird is happening. It's just, oh, you bumped that. Oh, he bumped that. Who knows? There's a rational explanation for this. It's like Scooby-Doo, except that she knows that her abuser,
0: is out there. She 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 thinks that she knows for a fact that this is happening. She thinks she knows for a fact. But is she just going crazy? Who knows? Yes. Uh um, watch the movie. And uh <laughs> and like it's just so amazing because like there's nobody else in a room with her. It's just this one actress and everything that could be happening in the room is conveyed simply through her face. Yes. Oh. Wild. This this is just a wild It's like a wild ghost movie in a lot of ways. It's
1: it's like the most you could do with no money, right? Yeah. And there's like several standout sequences where it's just like, it's clear. It's clear. It could be done just like a rope off screen, just pulling something. But through the character, through the perspective of the person you're watching this through, like you believe it's something. Yeah. It could be something. It could not be. I don't want to spoil it. I I just think that, like, everything that this movie does, like, especially the sequence, remember when when she is alone and she goes out to the kitchen? Oh, yeah. That is, like, a bravura sequence where Elizabeth Moss is alone on screen for minutes on end, reacting to the horror of an environment
0: that's turned hostile. Oh, my word. Yeah, she carries this whole movie. I'm not sure if she'll win Best Actress, but I sincerely hope she does. Yeah. The whole movie is completely carried just on her and she Ooh. does an amazing job. If,
1: if she doesn't, it's the second year in a row that she has been snubbed. The first being from last year, her smell, that she she carries that movie on her back. And especially like this year, she has Invisible Man and Shelly, which came out within a few months of each other. Shelly just barely missed my honorable mention. She carries that movie too. Mm. It, it, she is a force of nature yeah. when it comes to the screen and she eats up her scenery like Like, almost few
0: have ever done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Um, Yeah, I love Invisible Man. It's not going to be like a regular just because of the subject matter. It's just so, (laughs) it's so intense. That doesn't get turned on on Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Oh, no. Not not at at all. At the Jesse household. No, but there is, moving into the top five, there is another movie that will be on the Sunday afternoon in my household. Yeah, so it's Emma. Emma! Emma! Emma, directed by Autumn de Wilde, starring Anya Taylor Joy and Johnny Flynn. Yeah, this movie was so pleasantly surprising. First off, I hate—I read the Emma book and I hate that story. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the Gwyneth Paltrow and didn't like that. And then this comes along, and it's so nice and colorful. And I actually, for all my hating of that Emma story and reading that book, like. I actually got more out of this movie. I enjoyed that story now because I've seen this portrayal of it mm-hmm. with these characters and the way they oh, choose yeah. to emphasize things. Uh, and it's so cinematically beautiful to watch. It's, it's like, like it's like candy, man.
1: I, I would yeah. like I would like to say um a friend of the podcast Mary Mary if you're listening uh Mary described and sold this movie to me as saying this movie is like dessert. It's delicious.
2: It really <laughs> yeah. is, man. It, <laughs> a really good dessert.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just like what you're saying like Jesse I I actually really do like Jane Austen adaptations. I really like Jane Austen just as a writer, but Emma was never a story I connected with. Emma was I was kind of sitting there going like, "Oh, I can't wait till Emma gets what's coming to her for interfering with everyone's lives." Yeah. But this one, I don't know if it was Anya Taylor-Joy's performance, I don't know if it was the writing, I don't know if it was just the 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 colorful like punk rock kind of way it was directed while also being a costume drama mm-hmm. but i was i was involved i was invested i cared yeah and oh, yeah. i cared deeply and i cared in every scene and the longer the movie went the more i cared and now like something that me and my wife like quote to each other when we're sitting down like watching a movie or reading books or anything is one of us was looking at you, the other one and said like i feel a draft <laughs> <laughs>
2: It yeah. oh, was yeah. so awesome. <laughs> I, I I felt the same way. I I have read this book. I love most of Jane Austen that I've read, and I really dis disliked Emma, like the story, the book. But this yeah, movie it, made me um, like. like where, where's Persuasion at? I love Persuasion. Let's just do that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, this movie made me appreciate Emma's the Emma story, and I was like, oh, I I get what's happening. This this actually helped me to understand the story better than I had before, which I think is kind of the best outcome from uh, an adaptation when you like, when you get more out of the story than you did in the book and you can go back to the book and actually enjoy the book.
1: Yeah. Um, I really like that. I'd actually like to use that as a, as a slight launching pad for just a, a very tiny digression, which is especially with Jane Austen, you know, Jane Austen has rabid fans oh, yeah. um, that are, that are like gatekeepers for whether or not you can enjoy this interpretation of this movie <laughs> based on how true it is to the book. Most people will tell you that the Kira Knightley, Joe Wright version of Pride and Prejudice is like quote unquote garbage, but you need to watch the six hour A&E version um, simply because of its adherence to the original source material. And this is something that really bothers me because movies and books are not the same and quite clearly they don't need to do the same things. I love it when a movie can make me reevaluate a book or give me a fresh perspective on it. And that's what I needed for the story of Emma. I needed something new and different to be brought to the table. I didn't need the classic tale told again in the same way because that wasn't working for me. I, I could not connect with this story. But I loved what they did here. Mm. Similarly, like I loved what they did, what Joe Wright did with Pride and Prejudice back in the day. Like he managed to condense what A and E couldn't condense in four to six hours into a beautiful two-hour cohesive movie that hung together, made sense to me like fleshed out his characters and brought catharsis to me. Like I appreciate an adaptation that forgets what isn't necessary to a story. Mm-hmm. And I think that Emma does that. I think Emma does it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It tells me what I need to know and then digs deep into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would also like to say that I, I am not a Jane Austen fan in any way. I don't really like those movies. I watched them with my sister growing up. She, she just spent like the whole, the whole day just watching that Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I um, love that and,
2: thing, man! It's so good. It's so good. I, I love can't.
0: It. I can't stand it. I can't it's, stand it either. Uh, dry, it gets on my nerves. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I think what separates this movie from from at least from that adaptation was like in that adaptation, it's like you're presented with these characters and this way of life, and just you're instantly supposed to like it. Whereas this one, I don't know what it is, but. It's almost like they, they slowly start to draw you into this way of living and this Victorian household gentry families it,
1: it, it draws you into like the small details like you know there we've been joking off Mike about you know Johnny Flynn's ass in this movie <laughs> oh, um, when he's getting changed, but it kind of makes sense because he's an old man that insists upon walking. you know he would sully his clothes. you'd get dirty, he'd get muddy, he'd get sweaty. And then also like Emma backing up to a fireplace and lifting up her dress because it must be really cold because <laughs> they only have fireplaces. And I know those fireplaces. And you know what? Benjamin Franklin was right. The Franklin stove is the way to heat his face <laughs> and not a hearth. <laughs> it, it's stuff like that. Autumn DeWild sort of draws you into the, the, the nitty gritty of the experience yeah. Yeah. To, to humanize these characters.
2: It, it's an interesting dichotomy because... I mean, it's so rich with colors and with patterns. It, it, we were talking, I mean, it's almost like a Wes Anderson film in terms of the structure of the shots, but then it's so, there's so much depth to it in terms of the richness of the atmosphere. And But it's almost more rich than you'd expect any than any period piece I've ever seen in that way. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it brings that netty gritty to the actions of the characters. To You kind of get a sense of smell while you're watching yeah. it. Like, things don't really smell that good, even though they look really pretty which, which is really cool. Like it's, it's just really
0: cool how she did it in a way that, that hasn't, I haven't seen it before. Yeah. That colorfulness, like again, going back to the other Jane Austen adaptations that I've seen, everybody's always dressed in like beige or white or (laughs) black. And this time, like Mr. Knightley, uh, he's got like a bright yellow coat on. Yeah. He's still dressed in, in period attire, but like everything is so brightly colored. Her carriage is, I think it's yellow and blue. Like everything is very striking and visually very pleasing. Like, like especially like in the church scenes, right? Where oh, yeah. when you see all the
1: beautiful like garments and, and but it's all visually distinctive. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's very, it's pastel, but it's also contrasting, which I really love. It takes a deep sense of the color spectrum to realize what colors will reflect other colors yeah. and then use those to your advantage to make everyone just like pop. And everything in this movie just pops all the time. Yeah, whether it's like blood from a nose, or or whether it's just a man walking through a green field, like it, it, it's visually sumptuous. Ah, yeah, it's a treat for the eyes. It's a treat for the eyes, and it's a treat for the ears. And oh yeah, I'm so happy that we have we have Emma at number
2: five.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Um, well, and and just as a note, I've got
2: like a weird sort of personal connection to this that I didn't realize until I started watching it. Autumn, this is her first feature film. Um, she came up through being a music photographer and I, uh, I really love music
1: videos at first have you seen? Oh, I I,
2: I don't know. (laughs) Probably not that many, but I know her because of Elliot Smith. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge (laughs) Elliot Smith fan and I was from high school rest in peace, man. Uh, but, but she, I think she shoots the son of Sam video for him, Mm -hmm. um, which is this really cool video that's all in black and white, except for a balloon that's red from the beginning. And I think that was one of her first uh, music videos. She's playing with that, like the difference in color and and dichotomies there, making something pop. Obviously, red is very different from black and white. But so it was weird to see to see her make this movie, um, which is not like Elliot Smith. This isn't an Elliot Smith movie. You know, it's not garage sort of sad singer songwriter, along with Johnny Flynn, who is also someone I knew as a singer songwriter. So it was just really cool to see them all together doing this, this story. Emma, I, I've loved Jane Austen since I was a kid as well. So for it all to come together like this was,
1: was neat. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. I, I, I think that as far as costume dramas go, this is where I would like them to go. This is, yeah. I think that the future is, and it's what I've always wanted. And I think it's what Joe Wright was, I think he kind of put the capstone on it. He said, this is how you do the classical costume drama. Hmm. And I think, Emma kind of comes in as saying, this is the new wave. Yeah. This is how we're going to do things going forward. In that way, in a way that no one is going to do going forward, I think we're reaching our number four. Yeah. Which is I'm thinking of ending things. (laughs) uh, Written and directed by uh, Charlie Kaufman and starring Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley, as well as David Thewlis and Tony Collette in supporting roles. I am not going, I didn't preface Emma with a story synopsis, but I'm going to preface I'm Thinking of Ending Things with a a small story synopsis. Just, it's a man and a woman who are dating are heading to his parents' house for the weekend in the winter. Along the way, the woman is ruminating about her future with this man. And she is saying, I'm thinking of ending things. She doesn't have the courage on the trip. And it's about her meeting of the parents, and this very surreal, kind of existential crisis that occurs within her and within her boyfriend about their relationship, and eventually, and quite clearly, about existence itself. This is a very introspective movie. It it really, and I mean this, it really is not for everyone. This is one of the most polarizing things I think I've ever seen. Uh, it's so weird. It, and proudly so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I Bravely so. But I will say, number one, I love this movie. I, I've seen this movie. Uh, I saw this movie twice in one week. Uh, I connected deeply, deeply to this because of just these, these intense emotions that I had about it. it. It's hard to talk about because anything that you say after the first 20 minutes is a spoiler. What what they encounter, what they think, and then after what they encounter, what they're thinking there, and where they go from there, and what classic Hollywood musical involves that,
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. You know, well, it's weird, like to even talk about a setting. Where is this movie set?
1: It's I know a lot of places, but also very disconnectedly. It's definitely it's definitely winter. It there's definitely flatlands. Yeah, on the drive to his parents' house. Yeah, it 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 could be like the Midwest somewhere. I think I think it does say at some at some point what state. But even beyond that, like it doesn't really. There's a journey that happens in the characters. There's a journey that happens that's about meaning and existence and life and what we're supposed to gather from it. Yeah. There's a lot about self-loathing and humiliation. And there's a lot about finding your own self and who that might be. And do you like
0: them? Yeah. So as someone who has not seen this movie, I have a question. Are any of those questions resolved? Is this like a story where, where you're going to find some answers or is it just leaving you with the question? What constitutes an answer? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I thought that was pretty (laughs) self-manifest. Well, I think it answers
1: the questions that it cares about. (laughs) I don't even know, man. (laughs) This movie's trippy. (laughs) It, 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 It is. It is. It can be definitely like, kind of psychedelic in a lot of ways, but it's also not interested in giving you a head trip. It's trippy yeah. in its story because the story is very reliant upon a non-cohesive, non-linear narrative. Yeah. But it also is not interested in letting you know on how linear the narrative is. It's asking really big questions in really
2: interesting ways. I don't know if it gives you an answer exactly, but I don't think of that in a negative way at all. And I also don't think that it doesn't give you an answer.
1: It's hard to say. So I think yeah. I think with this, what it does tell you is it tells you a lot about um, self-loathing and how that hatred can bleed out into your personal relationships and poison them and change them and also alter the fate of your life in a lot of big, meaningful ways. It doesn't... Okay. There's no hopeful message here in that, oh, well, don't hate yourself. It's better this way. But it's more an exploration into the loneliness that humans feel. And I think that especially in, in this year, I hate when people say that, but I have to, especially in this year where we're all so lonely and disconnected from each other and just yearning for genuine human contact. When I did see this, the way it delved deep, it reminded me of, of how alone I used to feel, you know, when I was a lot younger and didn't know anything and didn't have anyone to rely on. It brought me back to a very like primal emotional state, about how to think of things and the way that time passes and how to take advantage of that if you want to. And if you don't, well, that's a whole other choice that you make. And this is what life leads you to. It's, it's a very complex work that invites you to ask a lot of questions about how you live your life
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what you feel and think.
2: Yeah, it's more personal than something that's going to say, like, I have an answer to something.
1: Yeah, it has no answers.
2: I don't know about okay. that.
3: I think it's too personal
2: to to say that.
1: I would would say it has no answers because it's simply not interested in giving you answers. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that's too, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a cop out. It's like, oh, it doesn't have an answer because it's not interested. Like, it it might, I guess. But it's for you. It's true. That's true. I think that's what it, more, I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. I have to say, Jesse Plemons and David Thulis, like, for some reason this year, I've seen them in a lot of things. I watched the second and third seasons of Fargo this year <laughs> which have Jesse Plemons and David Thewlis in them and they're swiftly becoming two of my favorite actors I mean ever. also they're David Thulis Wonder Woman you know well yeah and he's in Wonder Woman like he's dude he's he's freaking great and then I realized he's Lupin yeah he's, he's Lupin. Lupin, yeah. I, I, that just like blew my mind because he is not Lupin in Fargo season three let nice. me tell you that yeah <laughs>
1: No, I I think I think to close sort of the I think we have to close the conversation of I'm thinking of anything's because if you're gonna watch it, I hope that our enigmatic speaking of it has only interested you in the movie and not turned you off to it. Yeah. There's simply no way to talk about this movie without spoiling it. And we're not here to do that.
2: It's it's so cool how it's it's interested in very big questions. It's a it's a movie for you to think about and and to to experience. And I think it's really really valuable.
1: Yeah, I I cried I cried um, a couple times near the end, and it was it just moved me deeply. Another movie that moved me deeply is our is our number three pick. I was just floored by. I think I, I think I'm probably the biggest fan of this here. And I definitely I don't mean that as a as a denigration to my co-hosts. I, I simply mean this worked for me really well. It's the five bloods. It's Spike Lee's movie about five Vietnam vets or four? Well, it's ultimately all Chadwick Boseman is the fifth. That's right. Yeah. Well, and his son, so six. Not yeah. not Chadwick Boseman's son, Delroy Lindo's son. Oh yeah. So yeah. four
2: four vets.
1: Um four vets, one about... son, and one dead man. It it's yeah. four Vietnam vets going back to Vietnam they're all uh they're all black and they are seeking their their kind of captain their leader they're seeking who, to recover his his, his body, body yeah who fell in combat yes but in addition to seeking out his body and they know where it's buried it's also buried alongside a lot of gold that came from a helicopter crash that happened around the time that he died in the same skirmish so these are all older men coming back to where they were young men yeah. um, in a foreign country where they sort of became themselves Mm -hmm. and then realizing sort of the distance that age and time bring with it and reckoning with that in our current political climate.
0: Yeah. That's a neat way of summarizing that. Thank you. (laughs) So I, so you're the biggest fan and I probably in the least, I I like this movie the least out of the three of us. First off, I didn't, it took me a long time to watch this movie because it has, duh, that's the first (laughs) word of the title. And when I see movies like that as a Netflix original, I'm like, ooh, I'm staying far away from that. Sure. I think that's self-explanatory. I think so. Yeah.
2: This um, is very different from most movies that I think, or most things on Netflix that would begin with the dinner. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it, it's, it's
0: just most different from most things. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's fair. Yeah. It's very, uh, I did enjoy it. I did really enjoy it. But it is kind of like all over the place. Um, yeah. There's a lot of like, oh, what's going on in the 60s?
1: It's more Jackson Pollock than it is like a Picasso. Yeah. Yeah. There are
0: monologues given straight to the camera, like Shakespeare style.
1: Yeah. It's very weird. There's also like real life Vietnam footage that opens the movie. Yeah. You know, there's, I I mean, it's a classic like Spike Lee thing now in his movies to blend real life footage into a fictional drama but it opens the movie is the most horrific footage that you've ever seen of Vietnam played out. I mean, the most famous photographs are actually videoed and, and the opening credits of this movie show more murders,
0: more war crimes than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So you're seeing like, there's a bunch of scenes like that and then other, other weird stuff that are interspliced. I'm not going to get into all that, but the, the tight story of these, these buddies, like coming back and like parting in Vietnam at first. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, they're on a treasure hunt to gold. So just think about the dynamics that would cause. And it it's so that part is super engaging. It's so interesting because the movie doesn't turn out, it doesn't work the way you would expect it to. It just keeps on turning into something slightly different than it was the previous scene. That's what I love about it. I love that it's always
1: changing. I love that that the movie is like a constantly evolving organism. Like you think this is going to be a clear heist movie and anyone in anyone else's hands, this would turn into like Michael Mann in the jungle. Like we're doing, just doing heat in Vietnam.
2: Like part of why I love this movie was because it kept doing this unexpected, like you said, the unexpected thing and those revelations that come out, they're all unexpected. That's fair. Um, and it's it's part of what, what you're building it, I don't know. I think it's it's part of how it builds as a movie and why I think it's a good movie is because it's it's doing this thing where it's constantly like doing a trip step almost. You know, it's tripping you up a little bit, a little bit as you go. You're like, Oh, I, I know where I am. No, I don't. I know
1: where I am, no, I don't. I hope it would encourage a listener out there to watch it. If 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 you haven't watched it already, if you're turned off by the title, if you're turned off by just the marketing of it, you don't want to watch a Vietnam movie, you don't want to watch a war movie. This isn't that. But it also is. It's also a father son movie. Very much so. It's also
0: very much like social commentary. Also, like, an incredible role
1: by Jonathan Majors. Like, he just does such a great. I mean, like, talking about Lovecraft Country, he's also in that this year. And just his relationship with Delroy Lindo, like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Delroy Lindo needs to get the Oscar now. Like, yeah, I think that. He did a fantastic
0: job. That father son relationship, I think that's what sold me on this movie. And there's. This one particular scene, which I just can't talk about, but it—that's when—that's <laughs> when suddenly the movie just changes on a dime, and this whole plot is just turned upside down. And that's why I love. This, that's why I really like this movie. Yeah, but it's—it's it's all the craziness that you were describing that makes me say, "Ah, I—I just wish that had been stripped away, and we had just had this this crazy plot that was constantly turning in on itself a little bit." I can
2: see that. I feel like. All the things that you could say are, are maybe not perfect about it are also things that make it good, which is weird. Like you could say you could put them in both the pro and the con list in, in my mind, um, which is kind of fun. Like that's fun to be able to do that.
1: It's almost every, every, every criticism you can level against spike is also a strength. Yeah. It's really weird. And it's just about whether or not that works for you here or it doesn't work for you. And it's, it's very subjective, incredibly subjective. Uh, it, I'm not saying, like, objectively, this is a better movie than what you're saying, because it's not. Yeah. It's just about how you're receiving it. And I think that's how he'd want you to receive it. He wants there to be a conflict. He wants there to be a fight yeah. in you. Because I think that's what great art does. Great art provokes conversation. Like, we, we yada yada past Tenant and Mank because we could. But you can't yada yada past the Five Bloods.
2: You can't just be like, oh, I watched it, it happened, whatever, I'm done.
1: Yeah. You're like,
0: ugh. It demands attention. It demands it. I kind of want to yada yada a little bit. All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, like, again, I, I think there, there are some stellar moments in the movie. And then there's a lot of stuff that just didn't grab me. Like ultimately, like it being a, a mishmash of a bunch of different things, it didn't end up being able to, it, it stopped me from being really immersed in the story that was being told. But about what you liked, sort of it being number three on our list, like, what what spoke to you? Uh, it was definitely the father son relationship, and then just the relationship with these buddies. Who and then their their relationship is it's different between every single one of them, and uh, that was yeah. well. It was well told. It was well shown. I don't, don't want to spoil it, but like, but like the fight over the gun. You remember that when yeah, one of them yeah, discovers
1: a gun in someone else's bag. Crazy, oh dude. yeah,
0: yeah. Imagine that you're you're on a quest for gold and somebody has a gun
1: yeah one person
0: your your buddies one person has a gun (laughs) what happened one guy brought a gun isn't that crazy (laughs) that is what that whole dynamic is what i love nice and that's why it deserves to be number three
1: i'm very eager to talk about this but number two is the disney pixar film onward there has been a lot said this year about soul and I think that a lot of that praise is misdirected to that movie. I don't want to slight Pete Doctor. I don't want to slight any of the work that anyone ever did on that movie. They clearly poured their heart and soul into it. Uh-huh. But yeah. <laughs> honestly, Onward is a crown jewel. So Onward is a story starring Chris Pratt and Tom Holland of two elf brothers who need to find a way to get to a place where they can resurrect their dead father for 24 hours yeah they partially do it he is resurrected up to his belt (laughs) from his shoes to his belt he is a a a pantsed leg yeah he he has two legs and that's it he cannot hear he cannot speak he's just legs
0: and the clock is ticking right yes because that the spell that the father left them as soon as they start it the 24 hour clock starts. So yeah, here they are with their father whose legs. It, it's just, his, it's just his legs. <laughs> it's just legs. which it's father legs, <laughs> which is funny, but also touching because of, he one. can't
1: see or hear yeah. and he, but he knows like they communicate with him that it's his sons. Yeah. One of whom was born after he died. Yeah. So, and who only knows him through audio recordings. Yeah. It's this, it's this odyssey that they have to bring their father and actualize him into life together so yeah. that the youngest son can see him, the father he's never known mm-hmm. and the eldest son can see the father that he's lost.
0: Yeah. And it's, this movie is so funny in so many ways. Like uh the Chris Pratt character, he's like the, the van. He's the loser older brother, right? He's basically the equivalent of a dude who's like really into D and D Yes. He's <laughs> <laughs> got these in the van with a unicorn on the side. <laughs> which which in fantasy, in this fantasy world, d is like historical. So it's, he keeps on thinking... It's, it's like a history lesson? Yeah, he keeps on thinking it's <laughs> a history lesson. And he's got the, the beat-up van and his little brother's just so embarrassed by him. Yeah, and, you know, awesome. he chains himself into... To like old fantasy constructs and says, "Don't knock these down, but like 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 artifacts." <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "Don't knock down like the artifact of like br- like Babool the Brave." Yeah, <laughs> and then there's an the element with the you know with the father being only half there, but all these elements that are so funny and they should be funny because they just end up being really heart- gut wrenching, human, like gut wrenchingly sincere. It. Yeah. Um, like especially with the father and the fact that he's only legs, it's significant because the older brother he used to do the thing with his father's shoes where he would tap them, mm-hmm. and so that's how that's how they let the father know that they're with him by tapping his yeah. shoe. Yeah, it's, it's a specific rhythm that
1: let they did when they were babies. Yeah, that lets them know like your son is here.
0: <laughs> like, uh, I, I mean, I mean, I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> It's, I mean, it's it's so funny because it's just this dude walking around, it's just legs, and then they do something like that. This whole movie is just filled with scenes like that over and over again. Yeah, I was definitely tearing up on many points, especially like I'll just bring up one other really moving part. It's the the son, and this is mild spoilers. Uh, the son is so excited to finally meet his dad, and he's written a list of things that he going to do with them and as they go longer and longer on this quest he has to like cross things off like yeah. have a heart to heart play catch and oh, man. yeah and, and he has to cross them off
1: because as time ticks down yeah it's clear they won't be able to fit in his his dreams of being with his father and the stuff that he wants to do and this this movie like for, for me and Mike you know we've, we, we've lost our, our biological fathers and for me watching this was was a really profound emotional experience and it it was it was it was kind of hard it was kind of hard to get through it kind of difficult to to face this movie and I, and I watched it twice and i watched it with my daughter and i watched it with my wife and that was really beautiful yeah. for me to do and i i loved that experience and this is a movie that like immediately took the crown of of some of the best pixar movies and just yeah vaulted to the top, like in a a year where everyone's praising soul as one of the best animated movies ever made. I just say like, like, no, (laughs) it's onward. It's
0: onward. Onward is so much is so superior in almost every way. Yeah. Wow. I actually came out of onward being like, like just thinking about how I wanted my kids to view me.
1: Like, how would they remember you? How would they were like, and the way that they remember their father is that he always wore these crazy socks and you see the socks, but everyone knows the dad. It, it, and he the youngest son only remembers his father because of because of this audio recording that he has, and he's trying to fix the stereo that's accidentally recorded on the tape player, and and he he records a conversation in conjunction with his father, like he was talking to him.
2: I haven't seen this movie. I lost my dad when I was a kid. I've shared that before on, on the podcast. I'm, I'm a little afraid to. And uh, I, I want to. I very much want to watch this movie. But I also very much want to make sure I do it in the right way. Um, because of what you guys have said about it. And uh, how, how I know it's affected both of you. I mean, we're all dads here. And uh
0: it seems like a pretty big one. I mean, my... Dude, uh, we've talked about so many movies in this episode alone, yeah. and on this podcast. And this is the the biggest emotional response I think we've ever gotten just talking about any just a small fraction of it. I, I just um, I can't, and it's just an animated Pixar movie. I can't believe this exists and that not enough people have seen it. I think I think this is a is a good lead in before we we dwell too long.
1: I think this is a good lead into our our number one and why it's our number one and why not why onward isn't our number one but just why this one is mm-hmm. our number one movie for 2020 is sound of metal yeah. it's directed and written by darius martyr and it's uh, starring riz ahmed this is a movie about a metal band drummer who slowly starts to go deaf and how he deals with losing his hearing we all rate this movie five stars out of five stars. Mm -hmm. And if you would like to go forward without any kind of spoilers, please do. But from here on, we're going to spoil this thing. I would like to kind of start and just say like when Paul Racy, probably like the, he deserves to win best supporting actor, the the deaf man.
2: Yeah. yeah. um,
1: Joe who runs the house. You yeah. know, he, 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 he denies him his space. He says, like, you can't stay here. You can't be here with us mm-hmm. because we don't view deafness as something to be cured. I, yeah. I, I was floored by that. I, I, yeah. I, it almost like that almost brought me to tears. Like, I don't, we don't view your disability as something to be compensated. And it's wrong of you to think you can fix that in the way that you're doing it. You know yeah and then to go even further and and to be like heartbroken by that like he's heart he wants to help him but can't he can't because <sighs> of the other people and he says like I want you to think about the other people that are in this equation with you and he said yeah. I just want you to think about that moment of stillness you know in that stillness he says in the earlier conversation right in that moment of stillness is the kingdom of God
0: yeah are there <sighs> I love the fact that this movie ends with that moment of stillness because it opens up and it's (laughs) it's a great it's a loud loud song that is I don't like it at all it's (laughs) me and my wife purify
2: punk metal (laughs) crazy drums crazy guitar (sighs) crazy
0: vocals that's it my wife and I just looked at each other and we had this look that said if there are more songs like this we are not going to continue watching and it just, because it just starts with such chaos. Yeah. And then it ends with this moment of peace. That, Silence. Yeah. Silence. Um, it's the only movie where I've just sat because of that moment. You just don't want it to end. And you just sit there listening to this beautiful song uh, over the credits. And you just me and my wife just sat there the entire time. The credits were rolling and just in, in, in the stillness. And like, we enjoyed it. I, I, it was uh I, I it was I, an experience I, I've never gotten in any other movie.
1: So I wanna I wanna share this this experience that maybe connect with this movie. Um, when I was growing up, I remember many moments in cathedrals and churches where I would attempt to seek this silence, seek the kingdom of God.
3: Yeah.
1: Cause it's it, it's not just Paul Racy that's saying this, it's not just the character, it's not just a deaf man who is shepherding a congregation of deaf people with addictions. You know, this is a a universal idea that in silence, there is peace. Mm -hmm. Um, this is the foundation of, of many world religions. I've been in those places. I've been in those, those situations. And in those situations, I do feel, I, I did feel a lot like Riz Ahmed here where you completely, it's like you can reach up to your head and unplug the aux cord Mm -hmm. that's connected to your ears and you feel the great silence that is actually in the world. Space is silent. Yeah. And it's almost like you're unplugging from the earth to feel the silence of space. I felt a deep connection. And I felt a deep connection in the sort of conversations that he was having about... Mm -hmm. Um, about emotions, about human relationships, and in the end, I, I walked away having no way to really grapple with this person because this person felt a lot like me. Yeah, what did you
2: I, think? I, I mean, I, I felt I felt the same way. Man, this is this was just a very deeply personal movie for me, and it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's there's more that I really want to say about it, other than other than that. Go see it. Watch yeah. this movie. It's beautiful.
1: It's a beautiful movie. Even if it yeah. doesn't change your life, and it, it it doesn't need to, but it it is beautiful as itself.
0: Yeah, there is one part I guess I'd like to talk about. I'd love to. Um, well, I guess so. I come from a background where I taught special ed heavy disabilities. Like a lot of people that just couldn't straight up talk. And there's this, there's a mentality that you get when working with these kids, which is a realization that you get like nowhere else and no other job, which is, there's going to be no progress made. They're never going to get better. It's about coping. They are where they are. And yeah, because it's weird when I say I'm a, i am I was a special ed teacher and teaching always implies that there's progress that's going to be made that there is something that can be learned. And sometimes there wasn't. And so that's mentality that I know. And I'm very aware of. And so uh, there's that scene where he first enters a property though. And is talking with the, with the old guy and he starts immediately talking about the cure that he's going to receive. And the old guy makes very clear, like what, like you were saying, we're not here for the cure. Like, yeah. There There isn't one. We're here to live with it. And he, he already knows that. And he's so aware of it, but our, our protagonist, he's not, he's, just learning this, and in the audience, you're just realizing that too. There's, there's no coming back. Yeah, you're. This is something you're gonna have to learn to cope with. There is no getting better, but there is peace that you can find. Yeah, I mean, it's just not something that's really emphasized because it's usually it's movies like this go like one or two ways. It's Hallmark esque, which is like there's this disability, you overcome it. And everything is fine and dandy, right? You can live your life the same way you were before, almost. Or there's the really depressing route, which is nothing's ever the same. And I guess your life sucks. And this movie doesn't do that. No. It strikes that weird balance where your life is never the same again, but you, are, you can maybe be in a better place. You, you're, you are different. Yeah. And you're different in whichever
1: way you would choose to be different. Like it's really up to you. Are you better? Or are you worse? Can you mm-hmm. cope with it? Can you not? Yeah. Are you gonna are you gonna be full of hate? Or are you gonna be full of hope? What is and that's that's why I think this is one of the most important movies that's been made in a long time. Is who are you? Not only in the face of adversity, but just who are you in your DNA? And that's what this movie asks. Do you hope? Do you care? Do you love? Do you not? It's all here, and it's up to you to choose. And there's no value judgment under what you do. What you do is just up to you. Yeah. But what are you? What do you choose? And and that that's why Sound of Metal broke my heart, because I'm not broken by a movie that wants to tell me what to think or what to feel. But I'm broken by a movie that asks me what I think, what I feel, given what it's shown me. Yeah. <laughs> Could you find peace? Could, could I, I don't know. I don't know either. I I, I tried to envision that like, like, you know, all of us are here because we love talking. We love listening. We love conversing. What if, what if one of us couldn't hear? Yeah. That'd what be we, wild. What would life be? And that's what, like, it, it reduced me to that, to that level of, of being unable to function yeah. in, in a, in a correct way because I was robbed of my essential tools but I wasn't given the the training to sort of make up for it. No, so Sound yeah. of Metal, um, directed and written by Darius Martyr and starring Riz Ahmed is is our is our movie. It's our movie of the year. It's our movie yeah. of, of 2020. Absolutely. It's just it's just beautiful.
0: One of the best movies of all time. I think so. Yeah. I mean
2: for for a chaotic, insane year, what a wonderful kind of top movie this is. It's a movie it starts out with chaos. And from and, and for a movie called "Sound of Metal," it's so chaotic at the begin in the first like minute. Yeah, like the first scene after that, after it, you know, it's crazy. And then we get this, the title, of Sound of Metal" or "Sound of Metal," and then they wake up in the trailer, and you just listen <laughs> to all of the beautiful oh, little yeah. sounds of everyday.
0: Yeah, and also in terms of theme, it's called the Sound of Metal, and because there are like there are like three distinct stages of this movie, mm-hmm. and every time it has to do with the sound of metal like at first it's the sound of the banging cymbals right when he's on the mm-hmm. drums playing metal song basically yeah. then the next time is he makes a breakthrough with the kid right with the kid on the slide banging the metal slide yeah. and then the last moment of stillness comes from him unplugging metallic the the the, sounds from the, from the sound yeah. of the bell it's amazing how like that sound of metal is like what <laughs> that, like metal makes a very distinct sound Right. And that one sort of sound is what pushes them heard different ways is what pushes yeah. them through the different phases of his life. Great movie. Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Movie. Yeah. It, it wins. And um, a lot of, you're going to see a lot of lists that soul is going to top mank is going to top. And uh, you know, we're here and we're just going to say like, we're going to say unequivocally, It's wrong if you don't think that The Sound of Metal (laughs) is the best movie that came out this year. Absolutely. It's so beautiful and so transcendent, uh, which is a word we haven't used yet, but I really do think it applies. It's the best. We love it. And, you know. It would
2: make my day if it wins Best best Picture. Me too. I would just like, I would celebrate in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) Silently, of course. I remember when when
1: Parasite (laughs) came out, I remember I I sprang up in my living room amongst the people that I had invited. uh, You know who you are. And I just said, like, Bong Joon-ho! <laughs> I was just so excited that it won. And I would feel the same way. This is, this is a contribution to the greatness of cinema. Please go out. If you would like to, please watch our top 10. Uh, weigh in with your likes or dislikes. Please, please find us on our social media platforms. Like Get, get at us at Twitter. Get at us at Facebook. Get at us at Reddit. Let us know. What do you think? What are your top five of the year? Do you disagree with us? Do you agree with us? What do you think about the movies that we watched and that we rated? We have a lot of things that are upcoming in our new season, a couple different series that we're very excited about that we've recorded, including a series where we listen to your recommendations, your requests, and that we do. And we're we're very very excited to share that with you. But yeah, welcome to twenty twenty
3: one
1: of not your father's movies. We are here. We are veto. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. And we're going to sign off. Happy 2021. See you soon. Happy
2: energy. Hey, everyone. This is Mike from Not Your Father's Movies. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on tonight's episode, thoughts on movies that should or should not be in the dad canon, and most importantly, things Vito got wrong, we'd literally love to hear from you. Shoot us an email with anything you got at notyourfathersmovies at gmails.com. That's notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. And if that's not enough for you and you want more ways to listen to us, reach us, share us, and support us, check out our website at nyfm.podbean.com. That's nyfm.podbean.com. Shout out to Max Agros for our sick theme music. Thank you, Max. And thank you all again for listening to us. Have a great night.